You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Harm Killebrew. Francisco Lariano has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Sano! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems, the inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, it ended up being cooler than I did a third triple than hitting the grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I went into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you'll find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, hello once again all across our Treasure Island Baseball Network. And for those of you podcasting us on the Twins Clubhouse, wherever you get your Twins podcast, as we provide you some more grist for the content mill as we all await the start of the 2020 baseball season. Some of the voices you heard there on the Twins Clubhouse from our previous episodes, Brian Dunsing, Jake Odorizzi, Denard Spann. We had Taylor Rogers last week. And this week, we are very excited to welcome in one of my all-time favorites, a guy who welcomed me to the big leagues, uh, along with Michael Kadire way back in 2007, Mr. Mike Redmond, live from beautiful Spokane, Washington. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, we now we know you haven't done interviews for a while, so we're going to go easy on you, but I do want to let you know, today's edition of the Twins Clubhouse is brought to you by Pearson Salted Nut Roll, proudly made in Minnesota and powering hard workers since 1933. Get yours today on Amazon or at pearsonscandy.com. And it's kind of a perfect sponsor because uh, you were known not only for your work ethic, but for being a little salty when you had to be. So I think this is a good fit. What do you think? Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, I uh, probably still a little bit salty, but I feel like uh, as I've aged, I've mellowed out a little bit, although my wife and kids would probably say differently. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I I had an edge. I mean, I wasn't the best player in the world, so I I had to always play with a little bit of edge. But uh, um, hey, man, it was just part of my personality, I guess. Uh, don't change a thing. Now, now, Mike, you're joining us from Spokane, and uh, obviously you yeah. had to leave uh, Arizona, where you and the Colorado Rockies, where you're the bench coach for Bud Black, were getting ready uh, for what was sure to be an exciting season there uh, with the Rockies. You're back home for the first time this time of year in a long, long time, and you mentioned uh, your wife and, and kids. The whole family is together. First and foremost, everybody's safe, uh, but is it a little yeah. odd having all this family time right now? Yeah, it is different. Uh, like uh, like you said, I, you know, this time of year we're we're all on the grind and we're out playing games and we're in different cities. So it's first time really in many years that I've been home uh, for the spring. And uh, like everyone, sitting at home doing your you know cleaning out the garage and trying to do a little bit of yard work. And uh, you know, as I I got into this thing, I realized that you know in in the twenty plus years I've been in baseball, I've never mowed my lawn. And, uh, so I've never been home to, to mow my lawn. So I, I went and bought a lawnmower and, uh, you know, gave it a run the other day for the first time. And, and, 
you know, I, I think I did okay. Uh, um, now I'm going to teach my son how to do it so that I don't have to do it. And uh, But uh, at least now I can say I, I mowed my lawn for the first time. Well, there's always a time for a first. You've got a birthday coming up, too, so it's almost like an early birthday gift uh, for you in, <laughs> I know. in early May. You mentioned the boys. Yeah, right. you mentioned the boys, and I think twins folks will remember Ryan and Mook running around the clubhouse and, um, and and having a blast and always in the middle of everything. I remember when you came back to Target Field managing the Marlins and you told the story, I think it was Mookie, but I'm not sure, who had gone up to Kevin Slowey after he pitched for you in Florida and told him, hey, why don't you throw harder? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and now, yeah. now they're practically grown up in their own right. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was Ryan actually, uh, <laughs> my oldest. But but uh, he, yeah, they're they're doing great. They're uh, my oldest Ryan is now a freshman at Boise State, which is really cool. So he's uh, loves that. He's not playing baseball, but he's is still a part of the baseball team. He he does their. He's a video coordinator for uh, the baseball team there at Boise State, which just came back after you know not having baseball for a number of years and. Uh, so he's doing well, and uh, Mookie, my youngest, is a junior. He's a catcher. He's six two, so he's Ooh. growing crazy, way taller than me. And he's trying to decide what he's going to do. He's gotten a few offers from some junior colleges, and uh, so we're trying, kind of going through that process, trying to figure out uh, where a good fit for him to play baseball is, and if that's what he wants to do. So that's kind of fun. Um, how, how did but he end up I guess catcher? just like everybody, it's just nice to be home and be a part of it and get to have dinner, uh, under the circumstances. Obviously we all wish that we'd be, we, we'd be out playing baseball and doing what we've done for so many years, but there, are, I guess there are some, some positives, um, about being home this time of year as well. What were the discussions like Red Dog when when Mook said he wanted to catch? Was it a foregone conclusion that he would follow in your footsteps, or uh, or was that did it take convincing? Did he have to convince you? Yeah. Because you know you caught, but your twin brother he was the shortstop. I always just assumed you caught because you were like ten minutes younger. Yeah. No, I think I started catching eventually. Well, number one was I played first base, and then I got smoked in the mouth by a ground ball. <laughs> <laughs> and then I never wanted to play the infield anymore. And I think I picked catching because I like the gear, and I knew that if 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 it hit the ball hit me, it might not hurt as bad as that hurt getting yeah, how that work out the teeth with the ball. So uh, I think that's kind of how I really started, and and uh, you know, and I like the gear and all that stuff. And and but Mookie, I, I think he liked catching from the start, and. Uh, you know, he plays third base too. So he does, he gets a little bit of both. And, and uh, you know, he's, he, it's funny because uh, people that have watched him play say that he, he has some of the same manners as I do, which is kind of funny to me, but because I don't really see that, but when I watch him play, but, but uh, uh, yeah, he loves it. He loves the position, loves baseball. And he's working at it, working hard at it. So we'll see, but it's kind of cool to, like I said, I, I want them to be happy in whatever decision they make going forward, and I just want them to enjoy it uh, as long as they can. And, and uh, you know, I never trip push them or uh, try to get them to do things that they don't want to do. And it's it's their path. I had my career, and, and this is up to them. And whatever path that is, I support them 100%. Yeah, you know, and that reminds me of when, when you were playing here and the boys were younger and they were in school – 
the effort that you and your wife would put in to make sure that you were home every chance you could. You would fly out of here yeah. after a day game and spend an off day in Spokane, and, 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 and that's not easy, and not a lot of guys are, are willing or even have the foresight to do that, but that was always important to you as a family. Yeah, it was, and I even try. you know, I've tried to get do that now that I'm coaching Denver. I'm closer to Spokane. It's a direct flight, so it's 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 even easier. And and uh, you know, come home for a day off and at least get to see a a baseball game or or what. And I, I mean, I just I, I thought it was important to do that. I know my wife was would have rather been in Minnesota with us, but we decided decided to uh, you know raise our family out here in Spokane. So she made that sacrifice. I felt the, the least I could do was to get home as, as often as I could to, to be with the family and see the kids. And, and, uh, you know, that was one of my goals. Why I kept going as, as long as I did was that the kids would remember the baseball and remember us playing. But unfortunately when we watch games, they don't remember a whole lot of the baseball, but they do remember a lot of the players. I mean, they remember Puto and, and Cuddy and Maurer and Morneau and, Jason Kubel. I mean, they remember those guys and, and uh, we've seen them a few times uh, since I, we played. So it's kind of fun to see them all get together. They remember the boys and remember playing video games with them when they were little and slowly, you know, he'd come over and hang out with the kids. So those are, there's a, so many great memories and, and the, that the kids still have as well. Well, you are on the, uh, on the Spokane Mount Rushmore of athletes. You got Ryan Sandberg, John Stockton, Loudon Swain from Vision Quest, and then you. I, I bumped Ripple. You think that's fair? Yeah, probably in that order, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about your career. Mike Redman is our guest, beloved uh, uh, catcher for the Twins and the guy that Twins fans instantly connected with as soon as he signed and first put on or didn't put on a Minnesota Twins uniform, as the case may be. But your route to baseball was so different uh, than many others, and one that really wouldn't happen today because you figured out a way. You know, you're officially a non-drafted free agent, but you that was almost by design, right? You guys kind of figured out a, a loophole a little bit. Well, I, I, it was at a time when the, the Marlins were their expansion team, so they had just had their first draft, and uh, – I didn't get selected in the draft, so I went to play in a summer summer league team in in Kansas. Um, so I, I went down there and I played, and was still thinking that hey, maybe I could sign with somebody at, at some point. And uh, they have a, a World Series called the WBC World Series, and, and uh, I got in there and uh, or no NBC, sorry NBC yeah, in World Wichita. Series in Wichita. And, uh, and that's it was in uh, Wichita, Kansas at the end of the summer league. And, and uh, I played, had, had a nice summer and, and had a good World Series. And the, the Marlins, Jim Henry, who was ended up being, you know, was a, ended up being the GM of the Cubs and now he works for the Yankees. But he was a scout for the Marlins and he came up and was like, hey, you know, we'd like to sign you. We don't have a catcher. This was before Charles Johnson for those who, are, who still remember Charles Johnson. Uh, and he ended up being the first pick for the Marlins. But anyway, uh, he hadn't signed yet, so I signed and and you know got some school money and a little bit of of cash, but was fine with that. It was more just the opportunity. But but I think the point that I was trying to make is that I got into an organization that was new with not a lot of players, and and that bought me a few years. 
to kind of establish myself and, and get better. I don't know that I was 100% prepared for pro ball coming out of college. It took me a couple of years, but, um, you know, I played behind Charles Johnson there for a number of years through the minor leagues, and then they kind of finally let, let me go and let me play. And and, uh, and I finally hit. And once I started hitting, then, then that kind of, you know, propelled me to the big leagues. You also had some injury issues, didn't you? Didn't you have a big shoulder surgery at one point before you ever made it to the big leagues? I did. I had a shoulder in 2000. I tore my labrum. And uh, no, not 2000. I, now oh, I yeah. got to kind of remember what, what year. 97, maybe? Uh, no, it was no, 90, 95. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, it says 95. 95, I had the shoulder injury. And then. Uh, but then I came back from that, and then I was fine. It lasted another ten years, although it's a little dicey now. But but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> my arm was pretty good when I was in Minnesota. Kind of tailed off there towards the end. I like to say I pro I played. You know, I retired in 2010. I probably should have retired in 2008, but I I, I still hung in there. I'm still fairly productive. The last couple of years were a little dicey. Nah, I don't know. Dicey's not the word I would go with. You, you debut with the Marlins, and you do it in 1998, a team that would go on to lose 108 games. And the game had to seem easy for you because you had one of the greatest big league debuts that you could possibly dream up. You went three for three and hit yeah. a bomb. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, I wasn't – I wasn't a, as, as all Twins fans – no two things i couldn't i didn't hit a lot of homers and i couldn't run very well so uh i uh i did i got lucky i mean i i had i had an amazing day uh i think it was just one of those situations where it was meant to be where you know i had a couple good at bats i had a couple base hits to right field and then then got a good pitch to hit and uh i i guess it was just my day but uh yeah i mean i'll I'll never forget that i i still can picture that day in my mind like it was yesterday and and the feeling that I had and just to kind of after the game or you know I I got pitch hit for actually my fourth (laughs) at bat Leland pitch hit for me and and I'll never forget the conversation I said you know I said hey Skip I said man man, if there's ever a day I was going to get another hit today would be the day and he goes hey that's good yeah that was a pretty good day and that was it so um I, I, it is. It brings back a lot of memories, but uh, you know that was a, it was a special time. And you know, I, I think like every kid that gets to the big leagues, and you see it with the Twins guys now that a lot of the younger players, you know, it's easy conversation to talk about their major league debut because it's something that you never forget. Yeah, especially if you go three for three and hit hit a home run. Like, uh, that was a pretty good way to get it started. Now, you went through, uh, in your time with the, the Marlins, you went through a ton of managers. You had Leland and Bowles and Perez and Torborg and then Trader Jack at the end. You played with yeah. some legends because there was a while there where these future Hall of Fame guys would be rotating through. You'd get Tim Raines on the back end and then obviously Pudge for a long time. Gary Sheffield yeah. was a part of that. You got a 20-year-old Miguel Cabrera. I mean, you had... You had a lot of different dudes strolling through those clubhouses between 98 with that 108 lost team and then the World Series Club in 03. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of guys. And I think if you you look at a lot of teams out in the big leagues, not as much now because most of those guys are all retired. But, I mean, there was – we used to call them fish. I mean, fish. There's fish everywhere. Fish on every team. I mean, <laughs> they, they, never hung, they never hung on to guys very long down there. So – 
we we were we were fortunate where that 2003 World Series team was pretty much came up together through the minor leagues and and we endured a lot like you said that 108 loss season and and uh, a lot of losing uh, down there but a lot of us you know Derek Lee and, and uh, Mike Lowell and uh, <clears throat> Luis Castillo Alex Gonzalez Jeff Conine I mean that was a pretty pretty dang good team and fun uh, fun fun group of guys too but but uh, we got it done and and uh, got a World Series ring, so that was uh, that's pretty cool. Well, let's go back to 2003. It was a wild run through the postseason, a place you guys weren't even supposed to be, and it was quite a dramatic play. We'll take a listen to it. They got you out of the division round. With two outs, and Hammond steps in, one out of three with a walk today. Urbina deals. A line drive out into left field, breaking in. Conine can't get to it. Up with it, the runners wave. Here's the throw to the plate. Pudge is waiting. He tags him, gets knocked over, holds on, and the Marlins win the game. What a play to end it. A bruising collision at home plate to end this as Jeff Conine throws out J.T. Snow at home plate. And it's the Marlins who have beaten the Giants 7-6 and they're headed to the National League Championship Series. Heck of a way to end the first-round series, Red. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, I, I, You know, it's funny. We, They've been showing these games on uh, uh, MLB Network, so the boys and I sat the, uh, the other night and watched that, the game before that, and, and uh, it was game four, I believe, and uh, where Pudge got the game-winning hit to right field in the ninth inning or 10th inning. And, uh, so we, we've kind of got, I got a chance to kind of watch some of these games, but that, that was a great series. And I always thought that the giants were, I, I really felt like, and this is kind of probably crazy to think as we went down against Cubs, but I thought if we could beat the giants, cause I thought giants were the best team. I thought if we could beat them, we had a shot to win the world series. And, and obviously I didn't know we'd have to go and beat prior and, and, and wood in game six and seven. Uh, against the Cubs, but uh, that was a great game and a great series, and I think just gave us so much confidence for, for the first time many of us have ever been had had ever been in the playoffs. You know, it's hard. You don't really know how a young team is going to react to those situations. I, I would say we 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 reacted really well, and our pitchers did a really good job keep them in check. But there were some yeah. big hits in there and some big plays like that one by Pudge, man. I mean, that was uh, fun to watch, fun to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, Pavano was was a couple wins in that series. I think Brad Penny had a couple in the next round. You had Miggy out in right field, 20 years of age, uh, hitting Savant, just making his appearance in in the major leagues. So you go on and you mention the Cubs, which is now known far and wide as the Bartman series. Um, Right. And and people forget, though, Mike, that after the Bartman play with the Lou down the line and left, they still had every chance to put you guys away and didn't do it. What do you remember about that night at Wrigley? Uh, well, I just, I remember us being done. Like I remember we were done. Like, I think really we, I felt like that was it. Like, you know, we needed a spark. We need something. We were pretty much just getting shut down prior was, 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 uh, or we were just getting beat. I mean, we had nothing. It wasn't prior, but, uh, you know, in that play, in that play, Louis, Louis Castillo hit that ball down the left field line and, and, it looked, I mean, it looked close, man. I mean, if you watch that video, you would, most people would be like, hey, Moises is going to catch that ball. 
uh, you know, no doubt. But who who knows? I mean, we will never find out. But uh, it was just one of those plays where, like, okay, hey, man, maybe maybe this is, you know, and I think we all knew kind of the history of the Cubs and kind of what they had gone through. So we we all probably collectively in our minds went, hey, man, this is maybe this is it. This is the chance. This is the break we needed. And uh, sure enough, if it wasn't, the ground ball to shortstop and the, you know, box double play, and then that was it. Uh, so, and then really in game game uh, six and seven, I mean, we game seven was, you know, we knew we weren't going to lose that one. So it was just totally changed the whole feeling and the dynamics of the game and, and helped us move on. One of my favorite stories that, that I've had the pleasure of hearing you tell, and you can tell a story as well as anybody, and there are so many in, uh, in your, your Hall of Fame caliber uh, storybook, is the, the sound of silence. Yankee Stadium ending a World Series and how eerily quiet that old barn was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, there's two places I've never – ever heard so quiet and Wrigley Field was one of them and Yankee Stadium was one of them and I mean after that game after after we won and moved on <clears throat> to the World Series I've never heard a place so quiet as as the Cubs ballpark there at Wrigley Field and uh I mean people fans are crying I mean it was like they were devastated and all you could hear was just us screaming uh, on home plate and it was the same in the world series. I mean, you couldn't hear, you know, you couldn't hear anything. You couldn't hear a pin drop in that place. And, and, uh, especially old Yankee stadium, which was such a tough for all the guys out there listening to that. And we all know it was, it was such a tough place to play, such a tough place to win. And if you went, if you won a game a year in Yankee stadium, it was a miracle. I love the grand, you know, four games. So, uh, pretty special feeling, and, and like I said, those those memories, you know, we'll have forever. So you get the, wrapped up with the, the, the Marlins after 04. You've got a chance to decide where you want to go uh, as a free agent. You sign in Minnesota. Why Minnesota, Red? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think at the time, you know, I don't I, – there was no – at the time when I first signed, I didn't really know anything about Minnesota. I mean, I knew the history, obviously – Dan Gladden and, and uh, you know, the, the World Series titles and Jack Morris. I mean, I knew some of the history of, of the Twins, but had never spent any time in the American League. <clears throat> and uh, I remember a conversation with my brother, uh, and I just kind of asked him, I said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about – because at the time it was the Phillies. Uh, I think the Red Sox were in there. There were three or four teams that needed a catcher. And uh, <clears throat> I remember – my brother said, "Hey, man, that's I like that. I, I like Minnesota for you. He goes, that's a scrappy group because those guys play hard. They play the game the right way. Uh, he goes, I, I like that. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I thought about it for a little while, and, and eventually I was like, hey, man, this is you know Joe Maurer's coming back from injury. This is a chance where maybe I could get some playing time, you know, at least initially, and and." Uh, knowing that obviously Joe was going to be the catcher there for a long time. And, and, and I mean, you know, so the probably, it was easily the best decision that I made. Uh, not only did I get, you know, some pretty consistent playing time, but I got back to the playoffs with a great group of guys and got, got a chance to watch some really, really good players and great guys 
come up and, and start their careers. And, and, uh, that was by far the, probably the most fun I had as a player those, uh, years that I was with, uh, the twins for sure. That group you guys had and in 05 was your first year, but then 06 is really where we're going to pick up the story. Such a, such a remarkable group of different personalities and attitudes and approaches, and everybody was free to kind of be their own guy, but it all worked. Uh, it all worked yeah. somehow. And, and there was this, you can tell when you walk in a clubhouse, Mike, if it's real or if it's not. And those groups yeah. were, no, you couldn't, you can't fool, you can fool the media, you could fool fans, you can't fool your teammates, though. And I, I felt like those groups, 06, 07, 08, 09, those teams had whatever that special thing is that you can't make up. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. And it was true. It was, it was a group of, you know, gritty, gutsy players, uh, grinders, you know, we held each other accountable. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing is that, you know, we were, we we held each other to a high standard. I mean, it didn't matter if it was a day game after a night game where we played 14 innings. If Nikki and I were in the lineup, we were going to bring everything we had to that to that team, and and everybody knew that. And I think we all fed off each other. And I think it's when I think about those days, I think about you know I'm not letting down the next guy, and I'm going to make sure that Joe gets his day off. He doesn't have to come in and pinch hit for me. Uh, in the seventh so that he can you know get a full day's rest and and i think that's kind of was our mentality it was like and, and besides we 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 love to win and and the metrodome and you know we knew that people hated coming in and playing in the metrodome and whether we liked it or not it didn't really matter we it was our home and we, we were going to defend it and we knew we had such an advantage there and uh we couldn't wait and from the seventh inning when uh you know a bad hop happened or uh, or just any chance to take advantage of a situation we couldn't wait and because we would we'd take advantage of it almost every time now let's um, zip into uh to april of 06 and here's a uh, a classic mike redmond at bat save for one thing <laughs> pitch to redmond ground ball base hit center field into score bartlett two to nothing twins stopping at second castillo and mike redmond with a solid single in the center field. That made it 2 nothing. You go on to win that ball game. The reason I say there's one thing that stands out that, that's a miss there, Mike, is you hit the ball at the center. I thought you are supposed to hit the ball to right. <laughs> well, every once in a while I'd get quick hip and I'd hit it up the middle instead of getting to get deep and hit it to right. <laughs> I did hit a couple balls to center. I think I'd pull a couple, maybe five. Can you imagine the shift on you, what that would look like defensively, <laughs> you know, now that you're a bench hey, coach in this age of the shift? Yeah, no doubt. We, uh, we, we talk about it all the time and, and, you know, for like buddy, buddy saw me play and stuff, whatever. And, and, uh, yeah, we talk about it all the time. If they'd shift, how many guys they'd have on the right side of the defense. <laughs> I told them, I said, Hey, listen, I just have to get in on the plate and just try to hook it down the left field line. That's all I have to do. But, uh, it's, uh, yeah, the game has definitely changed in that aspect, the shifts and, they definitely make you, uh, you know, but I used to look at the, I mean, I, I always had a plan. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I'd look at the defense. I mean, cause there were teams or there were that shortstop would play me up, up the middle more. And I, I knew that either I had to, to, you know, try to pull the ball or, or really stay on it. But I think the toughest part for me was when they played me to right field and then they threw me like 
away yep. because I'd always try. I love that pitch. Like I couldn't uh-huh. not swing at that pitch. Like, and that's when I just will fly out to right or whatever, or <laughs> round out to second because I just couldn't lay off that. I love the ball out over the plate. Well, you mentioned you had a plan, and, and I mean you, you're a two eighty seven <clears throat> or something career hitter. You hit over three hundred several times, including a blistering three forty one in two thousand six. And as you've noted before, that's putting numbers up generally against one of the top starters on the other team because, as, as you said before, uh, you know, Joe was taking his day off against Randy Johnson or uh, Pudge yeah. was taking his day off against uh, against a front-end guy. You weren't getting the fifth starter very often. Yeah, I mean, if, and if you look at – I mean, the, the guys that I had the, a lot of success were all the tough, tough lefties. So yeah. it was really a good situation where Joe could take a day off against CC or – you know, Tom Glavin or, or, uh, whoever, I mean, Al Leiter, I mean, whoever, whoever was out there left-handed, I, I, I was more than happy to play. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, that's how I made my career. And I remember coming up, that's how I came up. Leland played me against lefties and, uh, I had success against lefties and then started easing me in against righties and same with, you know, Guardy. I didn't play against all the righties, but, but I played, you know, started at times against, uh, a few righties and and uh but it's like anything if, if that's if that's your your job and that's you, you got to figure out a way to to be successful at it and i knew early on that i was probably going to be a backup catcher my whole career and i was fine with that but i was going to be the best backup catcher that i thought i could be and, and try to be one of the best in the league and that was those those were my goals and uh and i knew when i when i got the opportunity to play I knew I just had to contribute something offensively. Like if it was a walk or if it was a single or anything, it wasn't, a, I didn't go up there going, Hey, I got to hit a homer. Cause that's going to help us today. It's, it's more about grinding out of bats and trying to get on base and do something. That's all I wanted to do was do something. Cause Joe was such a good player that I just wanted to go up there and, and contribute in some way. And that was my whole goal. And I know you love the fact that when you would say play, and catch for Joe, Guardy would just drop you right into that three spot. He wouldn't say, oh, we're going to move the whole lineup around. Again, something that probably wouldn't happen in this day and age, but I know that at the time you really loved that he would do that for you and you lived up to it. I did love it. I did love it. And you know what? And I used to tell him all the time, man, man you're going to take some heat for this. I said, people are going to be all over you that uh, you're throwing me in this three hole. I said, and there's another thing. Like I didn't, I didn't want him to look bad. I wanted to, like, uh, you know, because that's an easy target, man. When you throw a, a backup player, a light hitting catcher, you know, in a in a you know a produced spot, you 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 leave yourself vulnerable as a manager. And so I didn't want to ever you know let him down. And and besides, I mean, how could you not hit when you're hitting behind you know in between you know Kadir and and Morneau? I mean, I know I got so many good pitches. It was I almost, all I had to do was just swing. <laughs> Well, on that, on they were worried. They were worried about me, man. They were more worried about Morney coming up and or or Kadir in front or behind or wherever. I, I don't remember the lineup, but I that lineup was so potent. Um, well, all I had to do was put it in play. And on that day that we we heard the clip from, you also caught uh, a pre-surgery Francisco Liriano. He threw eight. He struck out twelve. That year, yeah. catching him and Johan. I mean, you had a, a legit chance to see something special two out of every five days. Now, you came up with that really good young staff. 
Pete Dontrell, young Josh Beckett. We mentioned Pavano, Penny. I mean, you've caught a lot of great young pitchers in your day. But that year with Liriano and Johan, what was different about those two guys in 06? Well, I, I think Johan was such a strike thrower. I mean, he you know he had the devastating changeup, but he threw strikes. And, and I mean, he didn't walk guys. And I think, you know, the only difference really between Beckett and, uh, you know, A.J. Burnett and Dontrell, those guys, they weren't as polished of pitchers when I had them. It was something that they kind of learned as they, as they went more how to pitch. Yohan was a pitcher, and, I mean, you talk about, like, a guy who just shut teams down. Yohan shut teams down. I mean, uh, A.J. And, and Josh and those guys had shut down stuff, but they didn't always shut teams down. So, um, Johan by far was the best pitcher I caught and obviously winning the Cy Young uh, says that in itself. So, um, but I think, you know, Larry and I would still say this, you know, had he not gotten hurt that year, I mean, I would have taken that, those two guys up against anybody in the playoffs. And it's too bad that we didn't get to see it, but because, I've always, I don't know that I've ever said this about a pitcher. It's like, I didn't, it didn't bother me that he loaded the bases with nobody out because <laughs> I really believe that he could strike out three guys in a row. And he did it a few times. I mean, I, it didn't bother me at all because his stuff was so good, so wipeout that, you know, he could get guys on base and still get out of innings without giving up runs. And he did it multiple times. Well, even after the injury to Liriano, here's how uh, you guys capped just an amazing run in 06. Let's hear it. The pitch. Brown with a ground ball to Nathan. He stabs it. Flips it to first. Game over. On to the playoffs for the Minnesota Twins. Celebrating a playoff berth in this 2006 season. What a run by the Minnesota Twins. And, of course, it got even more exciting with the last day and waiting for the other game to finish. And in the meantime, yeah. you, some, you somehow managed to, uh, to sell 25,000 Smell'em T-shirts in like a six-week span. How did, you, you got a box of those still in your basement or what? <laughs> I do. I don't have a box of them, but I do have some. I mean, I do have some left. I, I know when we uh, moved, we boxed up our house and moved all, all our stuff. I did find a bunch of those shirts from that year i mean that was just you know whatever it was something funny and stupid and i don't even know how it even started it but but uh you know it was it was just something we kind of gravitated towards i think you see that now with a lot of teams in the big leagues they you know find something that kind of motivates them maybe we started it a little bit earlier just because you know the baseball wasn't really like that i guess and uh we found something to have fun with and and uh, you know we laugh about it now, but but uh, at the time, I mean, it was it was fun, and and we all tried to get that big hit so we could get on first and touch your nose and say smell. Them. <laughs> well, you got plenty of those, and we're gonna now zip forward to to April of two thousand seven. You had done a lot of things in your career, including a win ser- uh, win a World Series to this point. You had never done this. And here's Wellemeyer now as he pitches. Redmond swings and drives a base hit in the right center That's field. The game. the game is over. Marno scores, and the Twins win it by a one nothing count on Mike Redmond's game-winning hit. I think I, that was my last good swing for the night. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, man, I got hit right in the shoulder blade, right right on the back of the shoulder blade with a backswing, and, and I was just trying to grind it out. I knew, obviously, that 
there's no way I was coming out of that game because, you know, Joe's DH. And so they beat me up pretty good in that uh, after the game, too. So I probably had a couple more ice bags after that. Yeah, and a couple of more Bud Lights probably after that one as well, yeah. Red. That was a one nothing sure. win. one nothing win over Kansas City. First walk-off hit. You'd had a walk-off walk uh, back in 2004. Uh, and you mentioned getting hit by the backswing. I think Tony Pena got you there. The one I remember yeah. is Jim Tomey nearly taking your entire head off. Um, yeah. You, you got beat up back there all the time. <laughs> I did. I did get some shots. I remember that the Tomei one was the, probably the worst. I had, I think I had to get six stitches. I remember laying on the ground there in, in Chicago and feeling my head and I could touch whatever was going on in there. It was wide open. I was like, oh, I think I'm in trouble here. But, uh, but I did bounce back and play the next day. So I was pl- proud about that. But, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I took, I took my, I took my lumps back there, but, uh, you know, I think relatively for the amount of years that I played, I, I got through it pretty well and, and, uh, I could still walk and play golf and, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing fine today. So, uh, it, it was all worth it, man. I wouldn't. I loved it. I, I mean, really, I love it. I loved it. I actually sometimes kind of miss it. I mean, I, I remember going into spring training and I couldn't wait to take that first foul tip. Just remember what it felt like. So that, that might not make a lot of sense to people, but I love, I love the grind of it. It was, it was a great position. It was fun. Um, loved the responsibility and, you know, I love taking those foul tips. Well, it took you till 07 to get that first walk-off. You didn't wait even two months before you did it again. This time, though, you were kind of – is that like a day off? You were DHing for this one, and it wasn't 11 innings. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Wickman ready, and here's the 2-2. A line drive base hit, and the game is over. Mike Redman singles down the left field line. Marno scores, and the Twins win this game with a three-run rally in the bottom of the ninth inning. Wow! What a finish for the Minnesota Twins! You got Gordo climbing an octave on that one, Red. That was. Uh, <laughs> do, do you was remember? Good. Do you remember those plays? Like do, when you hear that, do you remember Wickman in the game and the situation? I don't. I don't. Did I didn't really remember the Kansas City one, but I do remember that the one against Atlanta. I do remember that one because. Uh, it was a, not a great matchup for me because Whitman was, he was nasty throwing three, you know, like kind of three quarter sinkers with a big slider. And I remember he got me down, I think Oh two or one and two, and he hung me a slider and that's what I hit the left, but they had played me. Bobby Cox had brought the infield in way in and moved them over. So they were playing really shallow. And I knew, and I knew I was like, I could, I could, wasn't going to, I didn't have enough to get it over their head. So I knew I was going to have to hit something on the line. And uh, he hung me a, a slider and that's what I kind of got out in front of and pulled uh, for the base hit. But then that was maybe the only pitch that I, I could, I, I was like battling for my life up there, just trying to put it in play. And I got lucky and, and put it in play for the game winner. Isn't it funny how all these years later you can specifically remember those details like how they played you what you knew you had to do yeah i know it's funny it's funny how some things you you just you remember i could walk you through probably a lot of stuff and then there's sometimes some things that i don't really remember much but most (laughs) most big events i I still remember and can probably tell you pitch for pitch uh you you know most at bats or you know as a catcher 
Well, we you said earlier you should have retired in 2008. We're very glad you did not because in 2009, <laughs> while while you battled a bunch of injuries, man, you had a I think a hamstring yeah. early and your shoulder, and you had the great crack about they took a MRI and found a Bud Light in your shoulder, uh, and, and and you yeah. were banged up, but you were you were ridden hard early because Joe wasn't ready to go. But yeah. what started on May 1st when Joe got back was a crazy run to finish off the Metrodome. Here was Joe's first at bat against uh, Prince Sidney Ponson. Into the line and the 2-0 delivery. Mauer swings and drives one to left and it's hit high and deep. Back there it is gone. Touch them all Joe Mauer. Wow what a return for Mauer. Yeah, you were limping in that celebration at the time, but that was the start of what was obviously a remarkable year for Joe, really a remarkable year for all of us who were in kind of that orbit in 2009. You played, as you mentioned, with Charles Johnson. Brilliant. Pudge is a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. You played uh, alongside Joe for a long time. I mean, you were part of some pretty great catching crews, but when did you sense that that 09 season was going to be different, even by Joe's standards? Well, I mean, I think probably right there, you know, in that, in that area right there. I mean, I, I remember that year and, uh, Joe got banged up early and it was one of those things where, man, I was, and then I, I think I pulled my groin the first on opening day Yep. and I, I was like, just trying to fight through it and, and, uh, <clears throat> try to, you know, hang in there as long as I could. Cause the whole goal was just, was to stay in there until Joe got back and, and, uh, you know, we were able to do that and kind of keep ourselves in it. And uh, once he got back, I mean, you know, we just kind of took off. And, and uh, you know, that was a, an amazing year, um, you know, followed up by one of the best games I've ever seen in my and been a part of in, in my life there at the end of that season. So that was a, a, a pretty amazing year. And, and to watch Joe play over those years was, was special and fun. There was a lot of conversations between he and I just – in a lot of different aspects of playing and catching. And, you know, I always took a lot of pride when I left at the way he played and finished out his career and, and how long he played and, and to listen to him, you know, conduct some of his interviews that he, he, he had. And, and I would say this about not just Joe, but about Cuddy and, and Morneau and Nick Puto, all those guys, you know, they became not only great guys and great teammates, but great leaders and, uh, that was fun to, to, you know, be a part of those guys, but also to to watch them, you know, continue to play their careers and finish out their careers. Pretty special. Yeah, I think that's part of what, and we hit on it earlier, what made those those clubhouses so special, Red, was that there were guys who were going to get accolades for their performance, obviously. But inside the clubhouse, it was such a, a different vibe because it didn't matter necessarily who had the – the, the the longest home runs or the you know the the highest batting average there was a respect level that was earned amongst peers and you were very much in the right. middle of all of that and I could see even after you left kind of reflections of you you used to tell Cuddy all the time that he had to be saltier all the time you're, like, you're too nice <laughs> yeah. you're too nice you got to be saltier and no one would ever <laughs> accuse him of being salty but you could see those sparks and then you could see him passing on those same those same messages and to me that's the beauty of the game right painted forward yeah. all, all the way no no doubt and I think I think when I used to say that I I, I didn't want him to be angry I, I just wanted I guess I always wanted guys to have an edge you know like I always I always felt like I had an edge and you know an edge meaning mm-hmm. like you know hey 
I'm going to beat you mentality all the time, every single day. And, and was it there all the time? No, it wasn't there all the time, but I, I, I knew that most of the time it was there. And I, I, I felt like guys, I'd never wanted guys to let up and probably because, you know, my mentality was different in a lot of aspects because of the way I came up. I mean, I wasn't drafted. I, I had to create an, an edge to my game to be able to survive. And, and uh, I just always wanted those guys to, to make sure they kept that edge and, and to keep grinding it out no matter what. And, uh, you know, I would say that those guys, whether it was because of me or not, probably wasn't, but uh, <laughs> they were, those guys had unbelievable careers, all of them. And, and uh, if maybe they remember a conversation I had with them, then that's great. Well, maybe somewhere tonight, one of them is ordering a hundred beers for the uh, for the team to keep them, <laughs> to oh, keep, yeah. them keep them all together. <laughs> well, speaking of edge, now we we were gonna play the clip of your triple at the dome when you, you slammed, but it's a we got time limitations on the length of the show, so we couldn't play oh, okay. the, the the triple uh, because it took you so long to get all the way around to third base. Uh, still on, on that one, <laughs> you're still tired. But we do want to finish with a flourish. Uh, a game I will never forget. It was May 28, 2009. You were playing the Red Sox. You know what game I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think maybe, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. It, it's going to involve you and eventually Guardy, Jason Veritek, oh, yeah, and yeah, Terry yeah, yeah. Francona. Yeah. Let's hear. Line drive down the right field line. It's going to be caught. Kubel has it. Bailey tags. There'll be a play at the plate. He is safe. And Redmond has been thrown out of the game. <laughs> Here comes Ron Gardenhire. And Gardy now face to face with Tishner. I couldn't believe it. I was like, did you, did you just throw me out? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah. And, and by then, Gardy was in there. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. I just got thrown out for that. First one. First one ever <laughs> right there. Yeah, first and only, really. Uh, yeah, I remember that play. And it's funny because I tell Todd Tishner, every time I see him now and, and, uh, we laugh and I, I said, Hey man, he was out. And, 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 uh, he laughs and he said, Hey man, I got you your first ejection because that, and that was his first ejection too. Uh, uh, and, uh, so we laugh about it, but, uh, I got him a picture there. Somebody took a picture and it's a great picture and it shows the play. It shows the play and it shows my glove just hitting his arm. Like, I mean, if we had re- replay back then, he would, I, in my, he would have been out, but, uh, it was funny that the picture showed that he, I got him, I got his arm. So Tish was doing one of our games. And so I took the picture in and I made him sign it. I said, so I have it in my <laughs> office. Uh, what? What's funny is he was like he was a replacement guy at the time, like a vacation up. He was trying to make yeah. his way into the big leagues, and and he got hook happy that day because he got you and Guardy. Then he got Veritek yeah. and Francona. He got Tito on the same play, so he got a foursome in in the one day. And now I see him all the time. I think he's turned into a pretty good umpire. He's um, good, yeah. He's, yeah. he's really good, yeah. And I'm trying to. I think I want to think Beckett was throwing that day. And that was the yeah, and Beckett uh, came storming he, off. The he mound. was complaining about yeah. the umpire. He was he was on Tishner and and uh, and I think Veritek was just kind of protecting Josh from getting thrown out of the game because he was staring him down. 
Well, and Josh would do that thing where he would storm and stomp and come off the mound and scream and yell, and they'd le- they'd let him get away with it, and then suddenly his yeah. strike zone would get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, <laughs> and he was really good at at getting away with that. But yeah, that was a that was a, a very interesting one. Now you had the chance to get thrown out more as a manager, um, and yeah. Red, you were kind of you were kind of tip of the spear a little bit because now it's commonplace to grab a recently retired player laud their communication skills and make him a manager. You went through the minor league route and managed very successfully in Lansing and Dunedin before your chance in Florida, but you were kind of the start of a, of a trend that is now everywhere in the big leagues. Yeah. And, and I would say, I would say that I, I, those years that I went and managed in the minor leagues, I'm so glad I did that. I mean, that was, it was fun. It was great to, you know, go through this day to day schedule of, of uh, a minor league season and get a, you know, get a chance to spend time with the younger players again, after spending so many years in the big leagues, I, I really valued that time and, and learned a lot and, and uh, learned a lot about myself and, and learned how to teach again. And um, it's funny how, you know, you, you play all these years and, and you, you know, you take for granted that, you know, first couple of days of spring training when you're working on bunt plays and, you know, I knew the catching position and exactly where I was supposed to go, you know, for all, every one of those plays. But could I teach it to a shortstop or could I teach it to a second baseman or, you know, could I have the vision to be able to figure out where everybody's going? And that's what, you know, those are the things that you learn in the minor leagues. You learn, you know, not only, you know, how to teach, but to be able to, to, to change your vision from the catching position on to another spot in the infield. So, uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I value my time in the big leagues as a, as a major league manager. I learned a lot. The situation was, you know, not perfect, but I knew that going in and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I would never do anything different. I, I uh, uh, I, I had some great players, you know, Yelich and Stanton and Marcelo Zuna and Danny Echeverria, uh, Jose Fernandez. I mean, mm-hmm. just, some great players and, and I learned a lot and, and uh, you know, it was a, <clears throat> it was a good run, but I'm also enjoying, you know, what I'm doing now with the Rockies and bench coach and buddy black and, and still in the game and still learning and, and having fun and trying to win ball games. Does the bench coach role, I, I see it in many ways as really being a perfect spot for you because instead of having to sit and talk to people like me all day before a game <laughs> and, and deal with the front office constantly and, and you get to, to really honestly focus more on players than you would if you were the well, manager of the team. Yeah, it, it is. It's fun. I, I do enjoy it. It does. It, it get, I get a lot more hands-on with the players and uh, I get to work with the catchers, which has, has been great. And, uh, you know, we have uh, Tony Walters as a, a, a young catcher who was a converted infielder. So that's been a lot of fun to get a chance to work with him and, and get to see him develop and get better. And, and uh, <clears throat> um, it is, it, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy Buddy Black. He's a great guy, great communicator. He's so positive. Uh, he's a, a great friend. Um, and it's just, it's been a perfect spot. Denver, I love Denver, our, 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 the people and, and the fans and, and the front office in, in Colorado are amazing and uh, very loyal and, and uh, just been a real pleasure to go there. We had two really good years. Uh, last year was, was not so great, but uh, 
you know, hopefully this year we, we fire up and, and get a chance to go out there and redeem ourselves and, and have a great year. Now, as you're waiting to, 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 as you said, fire it up, how do you guys stay as a staff in communication? Are you constantly talking and checking in with players? Are you, you and Bud obviously are going to be in contact a lot. How do you guys go about facilitating that so you don't lose all of what you built up through the half of spring training we got in? Yeah, I think I think nowadays the communication is so different. I mean, everybody, you know, there's text calls. I mean, everybody's on a text string and, you know, coaches, players. We've had Zoom calls. We've had, uh, like everyone, I mean, we're, we're, you know, checking in once a week, probably at least with everybody. Buddy and I talk at least once a week, just, you know, make sure if there's anything new or anything we need to do and, we just had a, a call last uh, calls last week with all the players, <clears throat> just seeing everybody's face, just to make sure everybody's doing okay. Guys are, guys are working out and and uh, you know just trying to check in with them if, if there's have any questions. Not not that we know anything, but uh, so that that's what we've done. It's all about communication and just making sure that we don't go too long without checking in with those guys and make sure they're doing all right. And like I said, we're all. We're all in this together. We're we're trying to you know keep ourselves going, keep ourselves positive, and and uh, hopefully here sooner rather than later we can get up and go back to work. And, and uh, I, I really do hope and, and have a vision that baseball plays a part in this recovery at some point. I remember 9/11. I remember uh, after that, and, and I remember the the impact that baseball had. And uh, hopefully this will be a, a, another version of that where we get out there and start playing and kind of be the, uh, the an uplifter for, for people and, and all of our fans. Very well said, Red. I, I do have to ask you, you mentioned a Zoom call, and uh, I'm imagining you on a Zoom call. You were the guy who brought naked batting practice to the clubhouse. <laughs> you don't do naked Zoom calls, do you? <laughs> no, I, I don't do – I haven't done those. Uh, actually, I've, I, I think I've done a good job keeping my clothes on. So I, I think I left <laughs> – I left that as a player. I think that that was a lot of people talk about that, and I laugh. I think it's funny. My kids laugh, uh, and uh, <laughs> that was one thing that I left as a player. Uh, I'm not doing that as a coach or a manager anymore. Greg, <laughs> you left you you left a lot more than that as a player, and your impact has been uh, your impact has been significant. The game is much 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 better for having Mike Redman in it uh, in any capacity. And as much as we're excited that you learned to mow your lawn, hopefully you can leave that in the capable hands of your kids soon uh, and we can get you back in, in a uniform. Red, it's great to catch up, man. It's been far too long. And uh, as always, yeah. just a, a really good time talking with you. Hey, I appreciate that. And I, I, we were we were set to come. I was looking forward to coming back to Minnesota, yep. but I, I think I don't remember what the dates for that, but we were supposed to play you guys this year, so. Well, um, we'll find out what the schedule. Maybe that'll still yeah. happen. Who knows what it's going to eventually look like? But yeah, it was supposed to be an NL West year. I know a lot of people were pretty excited uh, about getting yeah. that one on the calendar. It would have been your chance to get some interviews in. You know, you, you would, <laughs> Bud would have been by himself I, in his office. <laughs> you know, I love that. <laughs> Mike Redman, uh, our guest on the Twins Clubhouse. We appreciate you uh, downloading it wherever you get your Twins podcast. And of course, those of you joining us all across the Treasure Island Baseball Network, brought to you by Pearson Salted Nut Roll, proudly made in Minnesota and powering hard workers since 1933. Get yours today on Amazon or at PearsonsCandy.com. He's Mike Redman. I'm Chris Atterbury saying so long for now. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.